0: You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Good morning, everybody. Hey, uh, here's what I've decided about the rainstorm out there. Um, you guys want to be here this morning. Isn't that great? (laughs) Nobody made you come and, uh, I don't know about if you, how many people are from this area? They've always lived in this area. They've never been anywhere else. See, it's not most of us. Most of us came here from somebody else because we wanted to be here and uh, we chose to live here. But uh, where I came from, if there was rain, you could forget it. Nobody would show up. Everybody would be freaking out and and crying. So thanks for being here today. Uh, God's going to do some good stuff. He's already doing good stuff here this morning. I encourage you, if you have not been to that Financial Peace University, Terry and I have gone. We uh, benefited tremendously. Uh, The principles are biblical principles. And I love that one little statement that gets lost in there sometimes. He said, imagine what would happen if uh, the the people of God, wait a minute, what would happen to the kingdom of God if the people of God were debt-free? What would happen to the kingdom of God if the people of God were debt-free? It's a great question to ask. And uh, you can be part of that. So, uh, one other little quick announcement. I forgot to do it at the last service. We have a secret project that we're undertaking right now that's for the few of you out there who love to be in front of the camera. All right? How many of you that's definitely not you? All right, okay. We figured as much. But there are a few of you out there that like to be in front of the camera, and you come alive when that happens. If that's you, uh, go give your name at the Welcome Center or talk to Tyler uh, Faria, and we've got something up our sleeves here that's going to happen in the next while. Looking forward to that. Some fun stuff. So, um, it's uh, Christmas time, and if I asked you what Christmas means to you, we'll probably get 150 different uh, responses here this morning. And for me, when I was a little kid, I loved Christmas. I loved Christmas. My dad wasn't in the home, but my mom would take us to our grandparents, and I remember it was always a little bit tight there, and they would open up one of those, what are those beds that open up? Like a little, a rollaway bed, yeah, like you get in the motel or something. One of those things, they'd put that thing, you know where where they put it? Right next to the Christmas tree. So I, as a little kid, I remember like four years old, just laying there, watching those little lights with the long long little bubbles that went up, there and, and the wires, I remember the wires, just looking at the wires, they're all wrapped in thread, you know, nowadays it's all rubber or, or plastic uh, electrical wires, but all those wires were like so old-fashioned from my grandparents, it was all threaded, and then I definitely believed in Santa Claus, because in the morning, the cookies were gone, Pfft. it's like proof, positive, that there must be a Santa Claus, because the cookies were gone, and uh, I, enjoy, I have great fond memories of that time. And uh, then, uh, you, most of you know, my mom died when I was five. And so my two sisters and I, we lived, uh, moved in with the foster family. Uh, when I was about eight years old, my first Christmas there, I had just accepted Jesus as my Savior the very first Sunday in December uh, there. I went down, walked down the aisle, gave my life to Christ. And then it was Christmas. And they did something totally different. They uh, they still had a Christmas tree, and they had presents, and they opened their presents on Christmas Eve because they were Scandinavian background. And uh, and so that was became part of their tradition. But they would open up the Bible, and my dad would read out of Luke chapter 2, and then starting from the youngest, there was eight of us kids and then parents and then grandparents. It took forever. Uh, starting with the youngest, everybody, we, we got down on our knees. We prayed. Uh, we thanked God for his gift. And um, you know how, how it is the older we got, when, when we bumped up a generation, now we had kids, and now the grandparents were gone out of the picture, and that was the, the, our parents' generation were there, and then we became one of the older ones. So our kids, we saw them anxiously waiting, wanting to open gifts, and we began to enjoy this time even more of opening a word, thanking God for what He did for us that year, and, um, and taking, taking the time uh, to worship the Lord as a, as a family. That, those became precious times. And now, um, we're getting up to that part where we not only have kids, but we have grandkids, and they're looking to us to define uh, those memories and those traditions for us that are, that are so pleasant and, and so God-honoring. And uh, I just enjoy that. But everybody has a different take on Christmas. Some people have horrible, bad experiences, and Christmas is a very lonely time. Uh, there's a message for you this morning. Some people tolerate the Christmas season, you know? And some people um, have been furiously baking uh, goodies and stuff for since September. You know, they're all frozen. They're all ready to go to be delivered. And, you know, you're all... And other people of you, you just love to sit through the whole season on the couch in front of the fireplace and, you know, watch your old favorite Christmas, uh, uh, you know, on TV specials that you saw ever since you were a little kid, you know, your annual holiday tradition. And I know we our kids grew up watching the Christmas story every every year when we were uh, decorating the tree. And those kind of things are fun. Uh, they're not necessarily found in the Bible, but they're not. Um, there's a lot of things that we do as people that it's biblical. There's things that are biblical, and there's things that are unbiblical. Things that are biblical are what the Bible tells us to do. Things that are, that are unbiblical are things that the Bible says not to do, and things that are abiblical are just a part apart from the bible a means apart from so there's nothing in the bible here about blue chairs so is this unbiblical because it's not in the bible no it's just not in there and so we need to use our brains and um that's what god and what great gift god gave us anyway so christmas presents some of you say presents yippee some of you say presents of course We give and receive them every year. Presents, and some of you say this. Sure, I've saved up all year for each person in my family to get $12.32 gift. (laughs) Some of you. Some of you say presents, too commercial. Some of you say presents, oh, I'm supposed to get you one too? And then some people say presents, yippee. Like this, there's always a yippee people around. Parties, presents, it doesn't matter what your take is on Christmas, uh, whether it's a, a, a time to gather the family together. Some of you, maybe you go, to, you go to work and purposefully yell out, Merry Christmas, instead of Happy Holidays, you know, and then they, they haul you in for sensitivity training or something later. So we all have a different take on it. And so for the next uh, couple weeks, three times, this week, next week, and Christmas Eve, we're going to look at the four different takes of Christmas from the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I think it's going to be very interesting for us to take this little journey uh, through here because each of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John look at Christmas a little bit different. They each have an account of Jesus and his life and his teaching that's a little bit different from the other. Just as if four of us witnessed an automobile accident out there at the corner and uh, the police officer came to take our statement and we would all have seen the same thing but we'd all share a little bit different perspective on what took place. So uh, when we look at the four gospels, the account of Christ's birth, when we look at the four gospels, there's a couple of things. First is not any one of the gospels gives us the whole story. And number two, a couple of the gospels don't even mention the birth of Christ. And so that's what we're going to take a look at today. So uh, the thing to remember here is that the significance of Christ's life and his birth here is, is the totality of his life Uh, his death, his resurrection, put all that stuff together. That's the uh, important thing. So whether you've just come to Jesus, maybe you've just received Jesus recently, or maybe you've been a Christian for a long, long time, or maybe you're still just asking questions uh, about about God, about Jesus and deciding whether or not you want to give your life to him and become a Christian. Uh, Wherever you are in your journey, there's something for you here this morning. So I'm going to start Uh, By reading out of the book of Isaiah. This is the prophet Isaiah. Now remember, this was written over 600 years before Christ. 600 years is a long time. I mean, uh, Columbus came to America just 500 years ago. So it's longer than that amount of time. And so the prophet Isaiah prophesied about Jesus hundreds of years before. This is what he said in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it, with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So we want to take a look. We're going to take a look at a brief description of each of the Gospels this morning, and then we'll go into it a little bit further next week. And so I want to encourage you with this. We're going to start out with the book of Matthew. Now, Matthew, in Matthew, the story of Christmas is rooted in history. The the story of Christmas is rooted in history history Matthew was written to the Jewish people to the Jewish people their traditions and their history were paramount. it was very very important to them so Matthew starts out with a genealogy of Jesus all the way back and it's an it's an important thing for the Jewish people to understand that Jesus was a Jew and that he was part of their people and he was part of the what was prophesied centuries uh, earlier and so Uh, jesus wasn't just somebody who just appeared but he was rooted in history so matthew was a traditionalist traditions were important to matthew and they're important to a lot of us here and to do things right and to do things in order and to not mess things up and so this is the audience that matthew was uh writing to and so the point here is that the birth of jesus wasn't the beginning of the story that it started way earlier the birth of Jesus wasn't an afterthought of God's, but it was part of God's plan from the very, very beginning. So to understand the birth of Jesus, you needed to put its place, you know, proper place in history. Every history teacher should be saying, amen, oh, you know, we love that, and, and uh, put, it, it's, uh, put it right in there in the place where it belongs. So Jesus was not just a historical figure, but he was also a powerful figure. He was not only man set in uh, with a genealogy and in the right place, but he was almighty god and so that 's what Matthew uh, talks about now. He specifically talks about the process of the of the uh, angel Gabriel coming to Mary and that she was a virgin she had never had sexual relations, and she was betrothed to David uh, that was a very that was more formal than our current uh i mean sorry to joseph and so it's more formal than our than our um current engagements to be betrothed that means a contract was made and it was signed sealed delivered so um, not only was he a human being but he was almighty god and matthew goes into detail about that Uh, one of our church fathers uh, hundreds and hundreds of years ago thomas aquinas said this In order that the body of Christ might be shown to be a real body, he was born of a woman. But in order that his Godhead might be made clear, he was born of a virgin. So Jesus, we must remember, all man, at the same time, all God. Can we fully comprehend that? No. But it's not too distant, like uh, some of you, most of you are American citizens. You can be all man and all American at the same time all right, or all woman and all American. You're all those things, and he's all God. He didn't give up his godhood. He didn't give up, give up his uh, infinency, his uh, omnipotency, his omniscience. That means he knew everything. He could do everything, and omnipresence. He could be everywhere. He didn't give those things up, but he chose to limit himself and live as a human being, just like us. So um, Jesus was was all man, rooted in history, all God. And yet, um, he showed the fulfillment and the faithfulness of God's promises coming to pass. Uh, Number two, in the next gospel, we have the gospel of Mark. Uh, In Mark, we see the story of Christmas requires our repentance. So, Mark does not begin with the birth of Jesus. He begins with the ministry of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, he wasn't a Baptist Actually, a better way to say it is John the Baptizer. Uh, he baptized people for, for repentance. He was Jesus' cousin. Uh, Mary and Elizabeth were cousins. And so John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus. He, he prepared the way. The Old Testament prophesied there would be some, someone coming up that would prepare the way. And that's who John the Baptist was. And that's where Mark starts with because Mark is a man of action. He's a doer. He didn't like to talk about stuff much. In fact, there's the least amount of dialogue in, in Mark of the four Gospels. That's the least amount of dialogue. Mostly, it's doing things. Immediately, they went here. Suddenly, they did this. Immediately, they went over here. Then they did this. Then they did this. He was a man of action, a man of fewer words. It's the shortest of Gospel. It's an account of things that did. That's, there's a lot of you out there like that. Let's quit talking. Let's start doing, all right? That's, that sums up a lot, a lot of people, and that's who... Uh, mark was and he since he was a man of action he called uh for people to take action to take action and so he he called for repentance and that's pretty much sums up um, the gospel of john repent is a key word uh for bark so all right please don't pay any attention to the doors even though they're screaming out for your attention. Uh, like, I'm going, what, what? Okay, so, all right. Repentance. Uh, John the Baptist preached. That was the, his first word, repentance. Uh, then Jesus came along. His first word of, of preaching was repentance. And John thought, or Mark thought that it was very important for us to uh, understand this word repent. Uh, in fact, Jesus said um, in Mark one fifteen. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe uh, the good news. So, you know, honestly, we can't really celebrate the birth of Jesus completely unless we have an understanding that we, we are not even joined to him unless we repent. And repentance means this. You're headed one way and you turn and go the other way. That's what repentance means means in its most simplest form. We're headed our way. This is our dreams, our vision, our goals, my way. And we turn from our way, we turn from our sins, and we turn toward God. Does that mean we've arrived or gotten there? No, it just means we were going this way, now we're going this way. That's a real easy picture of when somebody comes to Christ. I'm living my own life, now I'm going to give my life to Christ and live for Him doesn't mean that you think you're anybody great. It doesn't mean that you've, you're more mature than anybody else. It doesn't mean anything other than you're not looking out for your own interests, but you're looking and following after God. And so that's what repentance means. So we can't really se- separate or celebrate uh, Christmas uh, without having an understanding uh, of repentance. If we, I mean, just think of it. If we, if we haven't repented, if we haven't turned our hearts heart toward God, what difference does it make? Whether there's a, a stable or a cave. What difference does it make? Whether there's an angel singing or angels talking or, or, or you know, donkey or a car. Those things don't matter. Um, it, we know that they don't matter all that much anyway. But why would we even talk about it if we haven't given our life to Christ? Why not just lump Jesus in with Santa Claus and all these other things and have them just be traditions instead of life? Um, so according to Mark we cannot properly celebrate the birth of our Savior until we acknowledge our need to be saved. Why would He be a Savior? Why would we call Him our Savior if we didn't even acknowledge our need to be saved? Then third, we have Luke, the Gospel of Luke. Now, Luke, um, let's see, the story of Christmas invites our worship. Luke was uh, a doctor. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. Both of those together... Are a complete history of the of the New Testament. Uh, It's pretty amazing. uh, Theologians, historians, uh, scholars have looked at Luke and they they have declared and said that he is one of the most reliable historians of the first century in the Middle East. In fact, Luke, if you look in here, he names people's names, he names their titles, he names cities and villages. He's very very detailed. Uh, because he had a scientific, a logical mind, and he wanted to have an accurate report. And so, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Luke used his gifts of logic and reason uh, to write the Gospel of Luke. That's why there's the most details about the story uh, of the birth of Christ. So typically, when you read uh, the story uh, of Jesus' birth, you're going to go to Luke chapter 2 and read that. We're going to do it on Christmas Eve here, because there's a lot of details uh, about that. Um, so luke focuses on worship not only the details but he talks about worship he invites us to join in with the worship so the angel gabriel comes to mary and says mary you have never had sexual relations with a man before you are engaged to joseph Uh, But the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and you're going to have a baby. And his name's going to be Jesus. So if you're Mary, you're going, whoa, like this. This is quite a big load of news here. And you know what she does? She worships God. And Luke, if he wasn't so detail-oriented, he would say, "Uh, Mary worshiped. But here's what Luke chose to say. In fact, this has become so famous, we call it the Magnificat. And here's what Mary says. Mary responded in Luke chapter 1, verse 46. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. And so he he records that worship. And then uh, Zechariah, when John the Baptist is born. So John the Baptist is, um, here, here's the story. Mary and Elizabeth were cousins. The angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah, which is Elizabeth's husband, six months before Gabriel went to Jesus. And then, or, or, to tell her about Jesus. So um, Zechariah doesn't really believe; he doubts, and so he can't talk. He's mute for until John the Baptist uh, is born. So uh, Elizabeth and, and Zechariah have uh, conceive and have a baby in their older age. They're older; they couldn't have children. And so, about six months later, Gabriel comes to Mary, who is Elizabeth's cousin, and says, "You're going to have a baby of the Holy Spirit, and He's going to be the Son of God." And you call his name Jesus. So then Mary goes and travels and visits her cousin Elizabeth. When Mary is arriving, remember uh, Elizabeth has conceived six months earlier, and there's a baby in her womb now. And when she gets close, Elizabeth says, I just felt uh, uh, my baby leap with joy at the presence uh, of, of the Savior. And so that tells you another story. This is a little side note that of babies in the womb can have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And so um, don't discount the, the life that's in the, the womb. So then Mary stays there a while. Then she goes back home. And then Elizabeth has her baby, and it's John. And they name him John. And then Jesus and John, they're cousins growing up. And John's uh, responsibility was to prepare the way of the Lord. Uh, prepare you the way of the Lord and declare that he's coming. And that's just uh, what John did. And so when Zechariah... Um, He worships the Lord and he prophesies. And Luke, in his details, he could have said, you know, Zechariah worshiped the Lord. But here's what he said. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. And then uh, Luke brings into account on the, on the night Jesus was born, the shepherds were out in the field and, and the angels uh, come and reveal themselves to the um, shepherds. And it says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, by the way, that's a trivia question. If you're ever asked it, the angels didn't sing, they said there. All right. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace goodwill toward men. And then when Jesus is born, Joseph and Mary take him to the temple. There's a guy there named Simeon and a, an a older lady named Anna. They had both ministered and served in the temple for decades, and they both worshiped and praised the Lord there. Luke, all through uh, his gospel, invites us into this worship, because there was worship of Jesus before and during and after his birth. So whatever your traditions are at home, all right, don't let them be any level, any degree higher than your worship of Almighty God. That should be first and foremost. Parents, when you're training your kids, everybody has different traditions. Some of you have gingerbread men. Some of you have gingerbread houses. Some of you have crescent cookies. Some of you have candy canes. Whatever it is, um, don't assign something other than, hey, it's just something we enjoy to do. It's just a family tradition we do uh, during the holidays. But the main reason is because we're worshiping almighty God. We're not worshiping just a little baby per se in a manger. We're worshiping almighty God who came as a human being to die for us, all right? And so uh, we see worship, an invitation to worship all through scripture, even in the Psalms. Just read the Psalms. That's just a, that's an invitation to you to join in worship of almighty God. Then we come to John, uh, the fourth gospel account. and John, the story of Christmas restores our relationship John is about heart. So Matthew was about tradition and Mark was about action and and Luke was about the facts and and worship, getting there. And then John is about our heart in that uh, John doesn't specifically uh, speak about the birth of Christ. He starts way earlier. The first few words of the Gospel of John are in the beginning. In the beginning. The beginning of what? The beginning of everything. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So John, here, right from the get-go, he equates Jesus with eternity and Almighty God. And so, down in verse 14, John says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the father, full of grace and truth. So here, Jesus, almighty God, he steps out of eternity into time and space. Why? So that we could know him, so that we could understand God. So when we look at Jesus, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So we can understand God in a greater degree. So John was this guy who's all about relationship. There's all kinds of discussion and dialogue in John that's not in Mark, for example and uh, John was probably 14 or 15 when Jesus chose him as, as an apostle, and that night when Jesus was betrayed, the Last Supper, Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, and John was sitting next to him. Uh, probably the other guys, you know, what we would call a teacher's pet, all right, that's John. He's always next to Jesus. Sometimes Jesus, out of the 12, he said, Peter, James, John, you come over here, like this, and the other guys are going... What about us? All right, don't you get your feathers ruffled if you don't get picked? Sometimes just enjoy uh, what God has for you. And so uh, then sometimes just John. It, it's it's in the Bible it talks about the disciple whom Jesus loved. What are the other guys thinking? What about us? Like this. So John was this had this. Jesus had this close relationship with John. He had a closer relationship with Peter, James, and John. Then he had a close relationship with the 12. Then he also had the 70. Then he also had the 400. So uh, a lot of us, we want to be like in there in the middle with somebody. Say, pick out somebody. I want to be their best friend. Maybe, maybe you're one of the three in their circle or something. Maybe you're one of the 12. I'm not sure why I'm saying this other than uh, just be happy with your friends and who God's placed you in. And uh, get a close friend. Get a couple of closer, fr- cl- very close friends. Get a group that you really know. And then get a group that you know their name, like this. But not everybody out there is going to be your very best friend. All right? That's just maturity. So anyway, John was this disciple that Jesus loved. And he shares who Jesus is and how important he is. He's not in... in relating to the Christmas story, one of the theologians... And a commentary says, the creator is the redeemer, and the judge is the savior. It's just uh, great things uh, about Jesus. So, four brief looks at the Gospels, yet there's one conclusion. I don't want you to go away uh, with anything today if you don't get this. When looking at Jesus from whatever angle when we look at the birth of Christ from whatever our traditions are at home, whatever ones we enjoy, and cause us to worship Him, uh, whatever direction we're coming from, remember that Jesus is enough. He's enough. He's, He's enough to take care of you and provide for you. Jesus is enough to heal you. Jesus is enough to sustain you. He's enough to give you a, a, a vision and hope and dreams and destiny and future. Jesus is enough to center your life around. Jesus is enough to raise your kids in. Jesus, he's the living word of almighty God. He's enough for every situation. He's enough for you at a horrible situation at work. He, he's enough for, for awful neighbors. He's enough for the, for the best of circumstances. He's enough for the worst of circumstances. He is enough. Jesus is the center. And if you don't get that, get that song. Uh, there's, there's two or three great versions out of it. Jesus is the center. And, and put it on repeat. And if you can't stand songs being repeated, then keep it on there until you bust through and you get it in you. Jesus is the center of it all. It is all about Him. So no matter what your traditions are, whatever direction you look at Christmas uh, from, Jesus is enough. He is our Redeemer. He is the Savior of mankind. He's the one that came to make a way for us to be right with God. He's the one that gives us life. He's the author of life. He's the one that's going to come for us someday and take us to heaven and, and, and to live with Him forever so that we can worship Him. Don't shy away from that. Run to it. Jesus is the center of it all. We're going to go back 600 years again to Isaiah when he prophesied about Jesus' death. There's no one single human being in all of history that this prophecy applies to except for Jesus. Detail after detail after detail. And here's here's the reason, is because God is eternal and we're temporal. So God looks at Jesus' death 600 years ahead of time, as if it's already happened. That's pretty cool. That's better than any time travel movie that's out there. God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah about something 600 years in the future, yet God, in, from God's understanding, it's already happened. That's amazing. So here it is. Speaking about Jesus 600 years ahead of time. He was despised and rejected For our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and harshly treated, treated harshly. Yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet, Isn't that amazing that Jesus was born as part of God's plan to die for us and to make a way for us to be made right with God. So again, there's four different Gospels, yet one conclusion. Jesus is enough. So like Matthew, he's enough for you intellectually. You are rooted in history and you are part of God's plan. And morally, like Mark, the Christmas story requires our repentance. Have you repented? Do you want to be free? Because freedom is found in repentance. True freedom. True freedom. Emotionally and and worshipfully, like, like Luke, the Christmas story invites our worship. Do you resist emotion? Are you one of those kind of people? God's emotional about you. He loves you. In fact, the Bible says he dances over you with singing. As long as our emotions aren't misguided and selfish. But to worship God is reasonable. To worship God is logical. To trust in him with all of our hearts. Or how about relationally, like John? Do you want to, there was a prophetic word about being planted in the house of the Lord and being joined to the family of God. Jesus is enough. There was a prophetic word about that today too. God's all about drawing you in to his kingdom and to his plan and to be part of it. So I encourage you, if you had a great background and great family traditions that other people don't understand, continue those as long as Jesus is the center. If you have a really bad background and you don't want to continue those, start some good ones. And start a legacy from this point on to point people to and worship Jesus during this time of year and always. Father, thank you for four different accounts, four different sides of the story, and the same story. And God, we thank you that Jesus is enough. God, we thank you that you made a way. We thank you, Lord. I pray that each one of us would have opportunity to share some of this in our sphere of influence this week and next week as we lead up to the Christmas season. Father, thank you for the privilege of knowing you. Thank you for making yourself available to us and that we could relate to you, human being, to Almighty God, through the person of Jesus. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.